Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Morning, thanks. <laughs> I got three mornings for me in total. That's, that's a treat. It's so good to have you with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. If you're here, also if you're at home today, it is so good to have you with us. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, we are delighted to have Chris Phillips from Open Doors with us today. Chris, it's so good to have you with us. The past year of church life, as we all know, has been incredibly disruptive The way that we've done church has looked really, really different, but it's really important for us to take a slightly wider lens and to consider that the truth is that for us, it may have been pretty disruptive, but our disruption has been nothing, absolutely nothing, compared to the daily lived experience of about 380 million of our brothers and sisters all across the world, who every day are following after Jesus with their whole lives and yet living under the constant threat of persecution. Despite the cost, despite the disruption, despite the fear, our brothers and sisters have been unwavering in their commitment to Jesus. And we've invited Chris along today to inspire us once again around what it would look like for us as Lagan Valley Vineyard to stand in solidarity with our brothers and sisters, to pray for them and to support them and to contend for them, recognizing that the family of God, it is so wide and it is so vast, it is so global, and yet through our brotherhood and through our sisterhood, we are tethered together so closely as one, as a family, as the family of God. And so before I hand over to Chris today, I'm going to take a moment to pray for us and also to read today's teaching text. So um, can I invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, And if you're with us in the venue today, can I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word? Let's stand together. Before I read God's word, let me pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus, thank you that you are the Lord of the church. Thank you that you're the head of this body. Thank you that you're the chief pastor, the chief leader of this community, but also the community that just saturates every single part of this globe. And right now, this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would build your church. And I pray that you would build this church, and I pray that you would build your church globally all across the world. And right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would inspire us around what it means to be the family of God and what it looks like for us to stand in solidarity with our brothers and sisters. Would you speak to us? Would you challenge us? And would you inspire us? And as we read your word right now, we are open to your voice. So lead us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the words of Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 7. It says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. And let's jump down to verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. 
Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is temporal, or is eternal, sorry. This is the word of the Lord given to us so that we may know the glory of the Father may practice the way of Jesus and be filled over and over and over again by the power of his Holy Spirit. You can all grab a seat. Chris, it is so good to have you with us. We're family. Feel at home amongst us. Can we give Chris a massive round of applause as he comes to speak to us? Thanks, Chris. Well, good morning. It is really wonderful to be with you. Um, I, I, um, as you can tell, I'm not from these parts. Um, I live in Balamone with my wife Lindsay and three children, and uh, today is a big day for me and my friend there on the third row <laughs> for the England game later. Um, but uh, it's my privilege to lead the team for Open Doors here in Ireland, um, and it is a real a privilege to be here, to, as Stu said, just to bring some encouragement, some, some inspiration, hopefully, that, that, that gives you courage that leaves you feeling um, more connected with your persecuted family around the world, but, but, but being inspired to, to live boldly for Jesus as well. And over the last year, we've all experienced a level of isolation and restriction that none of us have ever experienced before. For the first time in my life, and probably yours, you were told you couldn't go to church 2020 had us flawed at times, didn't it? It certainly did me, whether it was not being able to see my friends, not being able to go to my church, not being able to uh, go to, to things with my kids, and not being able to see my dad in England, who during lockdown went into a home, and I'm not sure if I'm going to see him, or when I see him again, if he'll know who I am, because of his dementia. 2020 had me flawed. We met as scattered believers online, singing in whispers, meeting maybe in silence. And few of us could have ever predicted that that change was going to come. But what if isolation and restriction were permanent? What if breaking the restrictions and attending church could get you more than just a fine, but could see you put in prison? What if lockdown was more severe and your faith could see you punished? What if spies were watching your every move? What if your family threw you out because of your faith? What if owning a Bible was illegal? What if following Jesus meant violence or even death? Well, welcome to the persecuted church. Vanita on the screen from India was desperate to share her newfound faith with people in her community. She saw her husband and her sister become Christians, but everyone else she spoke to, she faced opposition and threats. She says, I tried to share the gospel to many, but they did not listen, but I never gave up. My job was to share the word of God. In India, the Hindu extremists have declared by the end of 2021, they're going to eradicate the country of all Christians. And Hindu background believers like Vanita are extremely at risk. They're the first ones that are particularly targeted in this campaign. 
So one day, Vanita and her sister found out just how violent their methods would be. They were with a pastor from their church and his wife when eight or nine local men burst into the house calling, where are the Christians? We don't want Christians here. Armed with rods in their hands, these men beat the four Christians for over 30 minutes. They stamped on Vanita and the others, hitting them and picking them up to start again if they fell down. And Vanita said, I felt that that day we would not be spared. This horrific violence is symptomatic of the crisis facing Indian Christians across the country. They're attacked, abused, discriminated against, rejected, all because of their faith. Sometimes believers are even murdered. And that story of Vanita is one of at least 340 million Christians. Stu said 380, and he's not wrong because the figure could be much bigger. But Open Doors calculates that we know there are 340 million around the world who face these high levels of persecution, unfair treatment, and systematic discrimination. Put it another way, one in eight Christians globally face this level of persecution. Do the maths, look along your row. What would it look like if one in eight of us here in the room or online or part of your community just weren't here next week? Just weren't around. We didn't know what had happened to them or where they've gone. But to break it down even further, in Africa, that's one in five Christians. And then in Asia, it's just two in five. We're a family of five in my house minus the puppy, but if two out of the five of us were targeted in these ways, that would be catastrophic, wouldn't it? But this is the reality. So every year to help us compute this, we produce the World Watch List, which is the, uh, the, the list, the guide of the 60 most dangerous places to be a Christian. And on the screen, you have the map which shows what that looks like. And, and, and there's never been a map like it or a list like it. Quite simply, persecution has reached unprecedented levels. It's reached pandemic proportions. For the first time since we started doing this list, all 50 countries face very high levels of persecution. There's never been a more dangerous time in human history to follow Jesus, to carry his name. Every day, 13 Christians are killed for their faith. Every day, 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked. Every day, 12 Christians are unjustly arrested, detained, or imprisoned. Every day, five Christians are abducted for faith-based reasons. And for the 20th consecutive year, North Korea is top of the list as the most dangerous place on the planet to follow Jesus, with up to 70,000 Christians currently locked up that we know of in North Korean prison camps. So the vision of Open Doors is that none of these Christians should be forgotten. None of them should be left to stand alone. So for over 65 years, we've stood with Christians who dare to follow Jesus, no matter the cost. And so here's the question for us to think about today. How do people like that, people like Vanita, keep going, persevere, blow after blow, In our reading that we've just heard, we're we're, we're listening to the words of a letter from a man who knew what it looked like both to persecute people and then miraculously to become persecuted himself. And he's writing to believers 
who know what it's like to be persecuted. The early church were a, a brave minority that were being persecuted, were being challenged about this stuff all the time. And he's writing to them to encourage courage, to give them reasons for hope. So I've got three reasons of hope for hope for you today. So how is it possible, possible that, that persecuted Christians do it today and that Paul and his church did it all those years ago? That might be something that you are also thinking about today. How, how do you keep going, particularly in the challenging times we've been through and that we're maybe heading into still? You see, suffering is a theme of this book of 2 Corinthians, but it's a repeated theme right the way through the New Testament as it's written by persecuted Christians to persecuted Christians. And too often we see it as just words on a page, but the reality of that context should challenge us and inspire us and engage us, particularly as we think about the persecuted church. So here's the first reason for hope. It might not sound too uh, promising, too positive, but if you look at the passage, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8 to 9, you get this picture of a boxing ring, of a fight, of a contest, where Paul is being beaten punch after punch. It's been thrown at him, and he's taking this absolute beating. But crucially, he's knocked down, but he's not knocked out. You see, life on earth is hard. We, we can't sugarcoat it. Jesus certainly didn't. In, in John 16, 33, he says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And then famously in Matthew 16, he calls his disciples to the way of the cross, to follow him whatever the cost. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For Jesus, this was never in the small print. This is very clear that following Jesus comes with a price. And Paul knew this. He doesn't sugarcoat it either. He doesn't glaze over it. He's had decades of suffering for Christ. Emotional beatings, mental beatings, physical beatings. It must have been overwhelming, but he doesn't glaze over it. He doesn't play it down. And the language is very clear. Let's look at the words. We're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And again, those are words and emotions we can all relate to, especially after the last 15 months. And so the Apostle Paul and contemporary persecuted Christians are well-placed to help mentor us, to help, help us navigate challenging and difficult times, particularly when it comes to following Jesus. And their testimony, their lessons can help us to not lose heart, to not give up, to persevere, to stay the course, to keep on going. And it's why we need to connect with them. It's why I want to invite you individually to connect with the persecuted short church through open doors. It's not about a ministry. It's not about you becoming partners with Open Doors. Forget that language. This is about your persecuted family. And Open Doors just stands in the gap and puts your hands together and lets you meet one another. And in doing so, we find out that they want to stand with us. They want to encourage courage in us as we try and strengthen them in return. And there must have been times where Paul felt like he couldn't go on. And our persecuted family and their stories, there are moments 
like Venita's, where she said, I thought we would not be spared. She thought, I cannot go on. And maybe you're feeling the same, fed up of COVID-19 and lockdown and wearing masks, circumstances personally where you feel you're in the heat of the fire, you're at the end of your rope, you're asking God, where are you? How long, O Lord? And if you're feeling like that today, you are not alone. And the message from Paul and the testimony of other persecuted Christians is this, hold on. Look at that repetition of but nots, but not crushed, but not despairing, but not abandoned, but not destroyed. Hold on to the but nots today. In this life, we're going to be flawed. We're knocked down, but we're not knocked out. Is a second reason for hope. Resurrection power is on display. Resurrection power is on display. In the here and the now, resurrection power of the resurrection power of Jesus is still at work. We maybe think of something that was something that was uh, thousands of years ago, uh, and, and Paul was was writing at a time where they've they've just heard about or seen that moment for themselves. Jesus' impact on the planet at that time was very close to them. And it's easy for us to become disconnected from that, but our persecuted family again show us that resurrection power is still at work. Why was Paul able to be so resilient? It's that classic, cheesy, um, easy response from Sunday school. It's Jesus. It's Jesus, wasn't it? For, for Paul, it really was all about Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is like the megaphone cranked up to full volume, declaring, broadcasting that God is bigger than death, bigger than suffering, and incredibly gets lived out in our lives as we respond to hard times. The empty grave dwarfs all the pain and hardship we'll face with the promise that one day every wrong will be made right. That's resurrection power. Let's see what it says in the text. In verse 6, Paul says that the light of Jesus lives in us, dwells in us, makes his home in our hearts, our very being. That this body, these jars of clay, with all our fragility, our brokenness, our ordinariness, Jesus is present right there in the midst of us. And then look at verse 10 and 11. He says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Jesus' resurrection is at work in us. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. And Paul had this tightest of attachments with Jesus in the here and now, a sense of being one with him, sharing in Christ's suffering. And he repeats that theme in some of his other letters. And if 2020 and 2021 has taught us anything, it's this. Hold on lightly to everything else, but keep a tight hold to Jesus. And Paul believed and lived in the light of the unstoppable power of Jesus, even if outwardly it didn't make sense or didn't look like it was making any difference. For Paul, he saw his suffering as a way for others to see Jesus. And it's missional. The pains and the chains of persecution were actually the gains for the gospel. The pains and chains of suffering, of of hardship, of challenge are actually the the gains for what Jesus is trying to achieve in this world. This is often often how God works. 
It's how he's always worked. He's still doing it today. And it's the story of the, the early church and the persecuted church. That persecution and suffering is often the motor for the gospel. Uh, last year, in, 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 in the beginning of March, uh, we had a, a friend from Iran visiting us here in Northern Ireland, a guy called Mujtaba. Um, he's from a country called Iran, which is number eight on the world watch list. Um, and we were doing some events with Mujtaba, and it was right at that point where they were starting to announce restrictions, particularly around mass gatherings. And we had these events planned, and in the office we were nervously waiting to see if we were still going to be able to go ahead. Um, and we were just about able to make these events happen. Um, and little did I know as I heard Mujtaba's story night after night and, and sat with him over dinner and talked in the car, little did I know how much his story was both going to impact me then, but potentially even more so in the, in the weeks and months to come. Because Mujtaba was arrested for leading a secret house church. He was imprisoned in the infamous Evan prison for over three years. And in the darkness of his prison cell, he found that God was present and at work. But he didn't see it that way at first. I could tell his story and make it sound like Mujtaba was a saint, like he's, he's perfect, he's got it all right, and we, we kind of put him up on a pedestal as a hero. Persecuted church don't want that. And Mujtaba said, I had this feeling that if I'm in prison now, it's because of my sin. It's about my faults and what I did wrong and that God is punishing me. And then one day, God spoke to me and I felt strongly. <clears throat> Mujtaba, stop being selfish. If you're in prison now, it's not about you. <clears throat> it's about me. Look around yourself. So Mujtaba looked around himself and he said, I saw people, poor people, many people that had done bad things, many bad experiences in their lives. I saw the doors, the huge gates of the prison and the big locks on the doors and how secure it is. No one can enter the prison and start to evangelize. But then there was an inner voice that said, look, I took you through the doors and the gates here to evangelize people, to talk about Jesus. And Mujtaba saw this incredible opportunity God had placed before him for resurrection power to be at work, for darkness to light, from death to life, from despair to hope. And he began talking about his faith with other prisoners. And many of them accepted Jesus. He says, I never prayed for God to release me from prison. It doesn't matter what situation I'm in. I can work in God's kingdom wherever God places me. It doesn't matter if it's in prison or out of prison because persecution will take the gospel to places where nothing else can do it. This is resurrection power on display. Darkness to light, death to life, despair to hope. And then look at verse 16 with me. Paul says the resurrection power of Jesus is at work in us daily, shaping us, maturing us. We are being renewed day by day, he says. Notice the present tense. The challenges we face are an opportunity for us to be resurrected daily. And this is where we should place our hope. That the inner you is more important than the outer you. What, what, what looks like the, the, the way it looks like the world is winning or, or, or darkness is winning. What's going on inside is more important. Spiritual growth and character in God's view is more important than our short-term comfort and happiness. And this doesn't fit with 21st century culture. 
with our society. We live in this tension of Christ, as Christians that, that following Jesus is tough, that it's hard, and, and it, it calls us to persevere. But this perseverance brings depth in our lives. It, it makes us go deeper into who Jesus is and what he wants for us. It's why Paul wrote these famous words in Romans 5, verse 4. Rejoice in suffering. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. So the third reason for hope is this. The future outweighs the present. Imagine I had some scales with me, uh, like the old-fashioned ones you show in grocery stores, or the ones that Lady Justice holds in that statue. And on one side, we place all that we're presently dealing with, the hardships, the trials, the suffering. And on this side is your future if you're a Christian. And this is essentially what Paul does. And he goes even further in 2 Corinthians 11, where he, he lists the pain and suffering he's been through. He names it. He was imprisoned frequently, flogged, beaten with lashes and rods, stoned, shipwrecked, in constant danger, on the run, hounded out of cities, hated and despised, gone without sleep and food, left cold and naked. He literally had the scars and the wounds on his body. What would you add to that scale today? COVID-19, cancer, broken relationships, depression. All that takes us out, all that knocks us down is here. And it's heavy. It's weighty. But the scales tip in favor of the future because the best is yet to come. Life on earth is hard at times. Some days it feels like you can't go on. That's how Paul felt. But the future, the eternal glory is always in view for Paul. He's always looking forward. Look at verse 16 to 17. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. We are being renewed day by day inwardly for our light and momentary troubles. Light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You might look at that and think, Paul, are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? But he knows it to be true. He's literally had decades of suffering for Jesus. And he says it's light compared to eternity with Jesus. Sop lives in a village tucked in between jagged mountains in the northernmost part of Laos, close to the Chinese border. Growing up, he knew only Buddhism, and then he stumbled across a man listening to a radio station, and he heard about Jesus, and he gave his life to him. And when the village chief discovered his faith, they said, don't, if you don't stop worshipping your God, go to jail or leave the village. Sop refused. His pigs were poisoned, his rice farm was set on fire, his children were discriminated against in school, and finally Sop and his family were kicked out of the village. With all that he went through, he refused to stop sharing the gospel, and even began hosting worship gatherings in his home. He, with Open Door's help, he was able to teach others to learn uh, to, to, to learn to read and write, and that gave him more opportunity to tell people about Jesus. And he says this, I'm always reminded that if people try to kill me for my faith, the Bible says not to be afraid. They can kill my body, but not my soul. If I, um, I have no problem with it, for I know where I am going. See, life for the Christian is not so much about the here and now. This is something our persecuted family have, have grasped 
over the years, and they have it in, in tension so tangibly. And I've met some of them. I've stepped in their homes. I've walked their streets. Maybe they've, maybe they've been discriminated against by their own community or their own family, or their church building has been attacked, and yet they continue to follow Jesus. They turn up the next day. They live in this tension where life is rubbish, but they don't let it stop them because they know where they are going. And Paul writes this. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. If they were to place all of their views in what they can see, they wouldn't carry on. They'd have no hope. But instead, they know the unseen treasures that is yet to come, that are yet to come. This doesn't fit with our culture, with our comfort-driven lifestyles. So our persecuted church mentors provoke that question in us today. If all our focus is on earthly things, what happens when those things let us down or when they're gone altogether or life gets tough? Well, we've seen that happen in the last 15 months when everything is taken away, when following Jesus isn't straightforward. It can be easy to lose hope. Do we fix our eyes solely on the things we can see? Maybe we've been putting too much weight on those things all along. So the scales are tipped towards the future. The future outweighs the present. So fix your gaze on the future. Look up and hold on. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. My prayer today is that these stories, in the words of Paul, would bring you hope, would encourage you to hold on, just as Paul is encouraging his readers in Corinth to hold on. At the beginning, I told you about Venita in India. Uh, somehow, her and her friends survived the attack, although they were badly hurt. Venita's head was seriously injured. She has deep problems with her hip and her shoulders, and her sister su- sustained serious head injuries. But then things got worse. They were admitted to hospital. They couldn't receive treatment because they were Christians and there was pressure from the attackers. Pastor Samuel, who leads uh, one of the partner organizations in Open Doors, uh, said this is very common in India. Most often the hospital denies medical help and the police take a lot of time to register the cases. These people suffer a lot. But thankfully, uh, Open Doors partners were able to get Venita moved to a, a different hospital, pay for her to get treatment, and this treatment could have saved them uh, their lives. And through it all, Venita's faith has remained strong. And she says this, I've never thought of leaving God because God alone has safeguarded us and helped us. Remain in Christ Jesus who sustains us and he will bless you. Peace in Christ is found nowhere else. So remain in Jesus. Venita's deeply grateful to God, deeply grateful for Open Doors partners. And she says, thank you. And our persecuted family are so thankful for the support they receive from people like you who stand with them to help them to keep going. And I want to invite you to do that today. Um, There's a number of ways you can do that. Um, On the screen right now, there should be a respond respond slide with a QR code, um, which enables you to uh, use your phone to get quickly to the page on our website where you can respond. Um, The first thing you can do is post a prayer. Um, We believe that prayer can go where we can't. There are are no borders and no prison walls to us when we pray. 
So you can uh, post a prayer on that page and it will enable you, uh, we can send that to persecuted Christians to encourage them. Prayer is one of our core values and it doesn't just change situations, it changes you. So I want to invite you to, to stand with us and stand with our persecuted family in prayer. Second way you can stay, uh, you can respond is to stay connected. As I said, connecting with them and, and receiving their stories as, as members of our family will encourage courage in you and enable you to kind of persevere and, and learn from them. Uh, so you can enter your details there to receive emails and, and stuff to your letterbox if you want it that just helps you keep them in mind and helps you journey with them. And then right at the bottom of that page, um, importantly, you can enter your details and send a, a letter automatically to your MP because we are raising a, a three-month campaign globally across Open Doors International, but especially here in the UK and Ireland, where we're writing to government to say the situation in India cannot carry on. The church in India will be gone at the end of this year if we don't do something about it. A few years ago, they told us, don't talk about India because things are so dangerous, it will get us in trouble if you start talking about us online or in churches and, and people spread the word about what Open Doors is doing. And then this year, they came to us and said, forget all that. If you don't do something now, the church will be gone. So I want to invite you, just stick your name, stick your postcode in that form on that page, and your MP will be told you need to get to this thing in Westminster and do something about this. But finally, I want to ask you, could you support our work financially? Because some of the work we do is literally life-saving that these people, if they don't get the treatment they need, if they don't get the food aid they need, just won't be around anymore. And financial giving is so important to our work to help us to stand with them in the long haul, to be there for them when they need it most. Just as we close, I've just got one more story. I'm conscious of time, but I want to finish with this. Um, on the screen, there should be a, a picture of a guy called Bahia. He's the, his story is the one that's changed my life the most since I worked with Open Doors. On my very first trip to the Middle East with Open Doors, I met Bahir, and I heard his story. He was speaking on the stage like this one, and he said this. He grew up in a country called Turkmenistan, which is in Central Asia, and it's a country that's dominated by Islam, and uh, he was brought up a, nomin a nominal Muslim, and um, he never heard about Jesus. In fact, he and his um, best friend, they wanted to be in the KJB, and as kids, all they would do was just pretend they were KJB officers with guns and fighting and, and, and going on these missions. Um, and then in his teenage years, he went through a hard time, and his life was just drifting. And, and then he went to, a, he went to a, an event where a Christian speaker was, was preaching the gospel, and he heard about Jesus for the first time and how he died for us, gave his life for us. And he said, nobody in the KJB has ever done that for anybody. So I'm going to follow Jesus now. And he, and he gave his life to Jesus. And then he began to tell other people. And his whole family came to faith. And he reckons that he saw thousands of people in his community come to know Jesus. And all this noise got him to the attention of the KJB. And they, 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 they found him. And they, they took him and, and they put him in prison. <clears throat> And they would beat him daily. And they would tell him, stop talking about Jesus. And on one occasion, they put him down on the floor and on the concrete floor, the soldier put his boot in his mouth, pressed down with his boot and said, shut your mouth, stop talking about Jesus. And Bahir said, you can shut my mouth, but you'll never change what he's done in my heart. And then one day, the door opened and a man came in carrying the electric chair. And from his position on the floor, he looked up and in the light coming through the doorway, he saw the guy's face. And who do you think it was? But his best friend. 
who'd made it into the KGB. He's achieved his, his dream. And he, he sat his old friend on the chair. And he turned on the chair. And six times during his time in prison, he received the electric chair treatment. Eventually, Bahir was released miraculously. And he escaped to Norway, where he still lives to this day. And one day, he was at home in his flat, and there was a knock on the door. And he opened the door. And who do you think was standing there? But his best friend. He said, I was really ill. And they kicked me out. They've abandoned me. And everything I put, built my life upon was gone. And all he could think about was about how you never let your God down and he never let you down. So I want you to tell, him about, tell me about him. What did Bahir do? I might have slammed the door on his face. But he welcomed him in. He helped him find a, an apartment and a job and they're still friends to this day. But this is what matters. I said to Bahir, can I tell your story to people in Ireland? He says, absolutely, but on one condition. Whenever you tell the story, tell them this, that if I had to go through all of that again, I absolutely would, because Jesus is worth it. Because Jesus is worth it. Guys, that's the call today. Follow Jesus. Put your hope in him, because he is worth it. Thank you, band. Um, I'm going to hand over to you. Maybe I'll just pray. Father God, we, um, we're suddenly very aware of, of our need for you, uh, of our brokenness, of our fragility as jars of clay that need to be filled. Uh, and, and yet, if we're truly honest, we, we sometimes feel like we can't go on, like it's hard and we're not good enough. Or we, we get it wrong or we've sinned or our past catches up with us and we just think, why, Lord? How do I go on? How do I do this? And I just want to hold that lens up to the persecuted church today and say, thank you for their example, God. Thank you for what they model for us of perseverance, of courage, uh, of determination, but ultimately of their trust in you. Thank you for their, for their words. And thank you for that picture of you being worth it above all else, of our light and momentary troubles that weigh us down and yet our eternal glory, time with you, your presence in the midst of our suffering is so much better. And Lord, so for us today, I pray for my friends here, for this community, for this, for this town even, I pray that you would reveal yourself and that you would reveal your eternal glory that you invite us to and that that would enable us to persevere, to keep going, whatever the cost, to follow you with guts and with courage. And Father, we, we pray for them. We pray for the millions around the world who are doing that even as we speak, standing with you, following you no matter what. Would you strengthen them? Would you equip them to keep going with everything they need? And would you show us how we can be part of that too? Father, we thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.